Hello everybody, it's Paul Birch here with another episode of the When in Spain podcast, a show that aims to bring you guys, the listeners, a little slice of Spanish life, Spanish culture, and indeed my observations on what it's like to live right here in Spain. Coming up in this episode, we're going to be talking all about Spain's most popular lunchtime deal, El Menú del Día. Now, for any of you who've spent any time in Spain, I'm sure you're familiar with El Menú del Día. But just in case you're not, what is it? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in this episode. It's a fixed price lunch menu, incredibly good value. We're going to be looking at what a Menú del Día consists of, the various courses, the types of dishes which are usually included. We're also going to be examining some really intriguing history behind El Menú del Día, how it first came about. It hasn't been around as long as I thought, actually. It was actually something which was uh, set up by law by the Spanish government under the Franco regime back in the 1960s. We'll be talking a lot more about that later in the episode. And we're also going to be talking about whether we think El Menú del Día is something which is gradually disappearing. And connected with that, what the future holds for Spain's traditional family-run restaurants. Joining me in this episode to talk about all of this is Fiona Govan. It's so much a part of what is offered at lunchtime. There's a lot of talk nowadays about how tourism is killing the Menú del Día. And really it's just evolving. It started out as something for tourists. And the irony of like now tourism killing that is interesting. So that's Fiona Govan. She'll be joining me a little bit later in the episode. She's a journalist and former correspondent who's been living in Spain for 12 years and she now works as the editor of The Local Spain, which is an English-language online news magazine all about Spain. We met up for lunch and, of course, we ordered two menú del días. So stay tuned for that as we describe what we ate and talk all about Spain's most popular lunchtime deal. But just before we head out for lunch, I would just like to give a quick shout out and a big, big thank you to new When in Spain patron. Uh, big gracias to you, Bernadette Jones. Bernadette Jones is the latest When in Spain patron. So thank you to you, Bernadette. I really appreciate your support and thank you for signing up on Patreon to help me keep bringing this podcast to you. What is a When in Spain patron? Well, it's someone who signs up via the crowdfunding website, patreon.com and signs up to make a small monthly pledge to help, as I said, support the podcast and help secure its long-term future. And so if anyone else enjoys this podcast and would also like to sign up to become a When in Spain patron, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash when in Spain. There are various tiers of patronage which you can sign up to. And also for being a patron, you'll get access to lots of When in Spain bonus content, videos, live videos, bonus podcast episodes, and lots of other When in Spain goodies as well. And you'll also get a warm feeling knowing that you're helping me cover my costs and time in bringing you this podcast. 
So, El Menú del Día. Yeah, it's ubiquitous in Spain. Pretty much, as I said, every restaurant offers it. And you'll find, if you've never ordered one before, just what fantastic value for money it can be. Coming up in the interview with Fiona, we talk all about what's usually included in El Menú del Día, the different courses, the kinds of food you can expect to be eating. And, uh, well, just to say that if you've never tried one before, it's a really authentic Spanish eating experience. And also, all Ordering a menu del dia will also relieve you of some of the stress of maybe not knowing how much the final bill will come to, uh, trawling through the menu of all sorts of different dishes that you might not be familiar with, trying to decide what wine or what drink to have with your food. And so it certainly simplifies the lunchtime eating experience. And not only that, as I said, it's a really authentic uh, eating experience here in Spain. And it's something that most Spaniards do at least a couple of times a week. So you're bound to be rubbing shoulders with the locals wherever you order your menu del dia. So without further ado, let's go and eat and talk all about this formidable menu with Fiona Govan. Vamos! Fiona, thanks for joining the When in Spain podcast. Very excited to be here. As we speak, we're sat in a little small bar cafe restaurant called Bodegas El Maño on uh, Calle de la Palma in the uh, centre of Malasaña. And we're here to talk about El Menú del Día, the Spanish fixed lunch menu, menu of the day. We've just finished eating our first two courses. I've just been presented with my postre, my dessert, which is actually some pineapple. We're here to talk about El Menú del Día, a real phenomenon here in Spain, right? Fiona, you must have had many menu del dias in your time in Spain. What does it normally consist of? You have a choice, of quite a basic choice. So the starter, I think you normally have two or three options. I say starter, but it's not always really like a starter because sometimes I think the starter is very, very large, kind of like a main dish. So like today I had a fabada and then the main course, which is normally the meat or fish option. And then you get wine or a drink, you get breads, which is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and you get um, <laughs> dessert or coffee. Sometimes you get and coffee, but normally it's all coffee, I think. Normally you, have a, normally you have a choice between a dessert or a coffee. You can't have both. But in some places, you're lucky yeah. enough, you get both. Yeah, so you have three courses. Like you said, you get a, a starter, what they call el primero. And like you said, they're normally quite generous, the starters. Like today, you had a fabada, which is like a kind of stew with beans and... Chunk of chorizo, some morcilla, which is blood sausage, and some kind of lump of fat, which I left at the side. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, after after eating a bowl of that, it's pretty kind of hard to think about having something else. Especially um, in the middle of the day as well. To be honest with you, I'm not very used to eating quite a substantial meal in the middle of the day. Well, I think the point is, is that you don't rush it. So if you're trying to fit in a mini del in your lunch hour, it's going to be kind of tough. But if you think of it as a... Spanish dining experience, which is how basically Spain treats all of its food, then you have to take your time a bit, which means you don't kind of wolf it down really quickly and then wolf down the second course. You sort of take your time a bit, you have a chat, you have a glass or something and then afterwards hopefully <laughs> ideally in an ideal world you go home for sleep have a little siesta afterwards yeah they're quite substantial these menu del dias and they're really good value like so we just had you had a fabada for your first course i had uh, guisantes with bacon and a fried egg guisantes are like peas so it was quite a big dish of with ch yeah. chunks of ham and a fried egg on the top that was a starter for the main course we both had the same we had swordfish 
which was really good actually. Yeah, yeah, like a swordfish fillet with boiled potatoes, I suppose, and some kind of sauce. And then for pudding, you've just had a, a white coffee there, a cafe con leche, and I've got my pineapple. And included with that was a basket of bread as well, which is really, really common as well. The bread, like you said, can be a bit dry sometimes. So that is the kind of standard format for a menu del dia. Three courses and a drink and a bread. In some places it can be really generous. I've been for a menu del dia before in some of the more old school restaurants. And uh, they give you like a, a, they might give you a bottle of red wine or, with casera, which is casera is like kind of sparkling water. It's, it's sweetened, so it's a little bit, it's sweet and fizzy, but it doesn't have a flavour. So it's not kind of like cream soda or something. Mm. You have to have it in the wine. So the wine is normally served really cold from the fridge, and you have a splash of casera. And sometimes, yeah, I mean, if there's two of you, you'll, they'll put down a whole bottle on the table. We went for. Coca-Cola today. <laughs> we both got to go back to work after this lunch, unfortunately, so um, we skipped the alcoholic option today. It can be quite generous for the wine in some places. The menu del dia that we've ordered today, I believe, cost 12 50 €12.50, so pretty good value, but I've seen menu del dias for as little as 8 or €9 Euros in some places, and maybe up to €15, Euros, depending on the establishment, depending on the quality of the food, I guess. And some places actually offer kind of like a half mini del dia, so you can just get a, um, a, either a starter and a dessert or the main course and, and a dessert, and that can be as little as seven euros. But I'd say probably about 11, 12 euros is pretty standard for the centre yeah. um, in traditional places. Yeah, I mean, we are talking Madrid prices. I normally say the average in Madrid is probably uh, 12 euros around that. Obviously, in other parts of Spain, it might differ. And the other important thing, I guess, to mention about El Menú del Día is that it's only available for lunch, usually. You wouldn't normally see it available as an evening meal. It would normally be a la carte or more expensive, at least, I think. And also, they don't normally have them at weekends, but they might have the Menú del Día de Festivos or something. So when it's a bank holiday or a weekend, they'll have a kind of extra special Menú del Día. Yeah that they can keep it so cheap is because they've they've only offering a few courses so they're only offering a few choices so they've kind of made it all in bulk so it's cheaper to produce and um, they've bought what's on season and they're, they're normally certainly in places like this they're like pretty traditional we know what pretty much what to expect but there's always going to be a kind of meat dish there's always going to be a fish dish there's most likely to be some kind of beans or lentils or peas some kind of quite stodgy, heavy, hearty stew. Especially at this time of year, we're in January, in the winter they will serve you some kind of soup or stew. I know in the summer they might give you salmorejo or gazpacho, something like that, like a, the cold tomato kind of soup, which is lighter and more refreshing in the summer. Maybe in summer months they might offer more uh, salad option or something like that. But yeah, it's fair to say it's quite limited options. Normally on a menu you'll have a couple of options, maybe two or three options for the first course, a couple of options for the main course. And then the postre always makes me laugh because it's always the same wherever you go. For the postre, the dessert is usually, what, what, what is it usually? So there's normally arroz con leche, which actually is one of my favourites. It can be delicious when it's really creamy and it's got cinnamon and it's 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 thick and it's gorgeous. I love that. So it's basically rice pudding. Rice, yeah, that's rice pudding. Yeah. And then you've got, I mean, Spain, in my opinion, isn't really great on desserts. 
So there's a lot of things that are basically custard. <laughs> I have to kind of agree with you there. <laughs> and I've had kind of fierce arguments about the difference between a natilla and a flan and a crema catalan. But basically, they are all versions of kind of an eggy, milky custard. Eggy, milky, custard-based desserts, yeah. And if you don't really feel like that, there's not much else. Or fruit. Or fruit. Like I've got today, pineapple. It's a kind of chunk of, slice of pineapple, which has been sliced into chunks with its skin. Sometimes if you ask for fruit, you might literally just get given an orange or an apple or, yeah. or something like that. Not even peeled. You'll have to peel it yourself. So, I mean, at least your pineapple is sliced. Yeah, super basic. Yeah, the desserts make me laugh. It's always the same. You'd sort of say, ¿Qué hay de postre? And say, well, tenemos arroz con leche, rice pudding, natillas, flan, which is like an egg custard kind of flan. Natillas is like a sweet egg custard, which is quite runny. Or pudding. What is pudding? It's basically more of a thick egg custard type. (laughs) Different levels of viscosity of of the custard. They mostly taste the same and the texture's pretty similar. Just slightly thicker or more fluid. Yeah. And you might also get quite commonly what they call was it un sortido de helados, which is like a selection of ice creams, but they, they usually always only tend to have vanilla. They might put on the menu, you know, we've got a selection of strawberry, vanilla, chocolate, but they, they never have chocolate or strawberry. It's always just vanilla. Like, I do get excited if I see like a Tata de Santiago or something, because if it's homemade, it's really good. Like that really almondy cake from, um, from Galicia. Yeah. It would be nice if they kind of served it warm with like a scoop of vanilla ice cream, but they... <laughs> I think that would be asking a bit too much, Fiona, to be honest, yeah. And of course, fruit. Sometimes you see cheesecake as well. So anyway, there you go. You, got, you have your three courses, your bread and your drink included. Um, super good value. I mean, I would say to anyone coming to Spain, do try a menu little Lea wherever you go in Spain, um, because it's good value. It gives you kind of quite an authentic dining experience. I would say most places where you see the menu del Lea advertised, you're going to be sitting down at lunchtime with locals, all ordering a menu del Lea. Don't forget that usually people eat it later in the day, so normally from 2pm onwards, I would say, is common time of day, midweek, to, to have a menu del Lea. And out on the streets, outside restaurants, they normally have a chalkboard displaying what there is available on the menu, because it normally changes every day, more or less. Yeah, and you sort of want to go somewhere that looks like it's full of work Workers will still go out for a mini del dia. But people don't have, there's no culture of sort of having sandwiches at your desk. It's very much frowned upon in Spain. So you want to go somewhere that's, that looks like there's people who are actually taking their lunch break. And some people will go to the same mini del dia place like every working day of their life pretty much or one of maybe three. And also worth mentioning, and maybe a lot of people might not necessarily have the opportunity to do this, but we did this uh, before Christmas. Work canteens, university canteens, government institutions where they have a canteen will offer a menu del día as well. And we went to, where was it we went? It was, um, I think it was the Agricultural Agency building. Mm. And um, you, have to show, you have to show ID to get in and you have your bag checked. But they have a sort of canteen style. It doesn't look that nice it's like a very basic works canteen or kind of looks like a school canteen it looks like a a school canteen but the food is subsidized so i think we got a menu idea for seven euros didn't we i think it was six or seven euros and it was pretty generous i mean it was quite a lot tons of foods and it's slightly different like they did have kind of more healthy options as well although we didn't go for the healthy options of course not so they do exist yeah in workplaces and educational establishments as well as bars and restaurants 
Yeah, and those, those are very much for the workers. Like, there's no choice in there. I mean, they were quite surprised to see us. We were so obviously geary, so they were kind of... And we didn't know quite how it worked, because it was the first time for both of us. <laughs> so we weren't really sure, like, do we take a tray, do we sit down? Yeah, where do we pay? And in the end, we had to put money in a machine, which, which produced a ticket, and you then had to take the ticket to the cashier to show them that you'd paid for it. It was, it was really strange, yeah. Yeah, it was quite institutional, but it was also a good experience so and apparently these exist in every single sort of institution government agency and they're open to the public you just need to know about them yeah subsidized cheap as chips my advice for anyone listening to this who's coming to spain to live or to travel or for a holiday do try and look out for a menu del Lea and give it a go because it's really good value and it's a kind of authentic eating experience that you're going to get here in spain i wanted to look at a bit of the history behind El Menu del Día. Now, when I was doing some research about it, I was really um, surprised, actually. It's got quite an interesting history uh, behind it. Well, there's a kind of little bit of dispute about the history behind it. Some people say that it was... The Menu del Día was kind of officially set up under the Francoist government to give workers access to a nutritious, balanced, hearty and affordable meal in the middle of the day, lunch, because, you know, back in those days, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was more common, um, and I guess we're talking about men here, for people to have more than one job. Someone would normally have a morning job, they'd have a big pause in the middle of the day, and then they'd start their evening job. According to my research, it was down to the fact that the economy was pretty tight and for most families to, to be able to survive, because normally in those days, the woman didn't work, the woman was at home as a housewife. The father, the husband, used to go out and work two jobs, so hence you used to have this big gap in the middle of the day. And uh, some people say that Franco implemented this menu del día as a way to, to support them. However, there is another school of thought as well, which I think is far more plausible. Um, what's your understanding of the other possibility of the history behind it? I'd heard of something called the menu turistico, which is the, a tourist menu. And apparently it was set up in the 1960s when Spain sort of opened its doors to the rest of the world. It'd been pretty closed off, but in the 60s, you know, there was a Ministry of Tourism was opened under Manuel Fraga, I think. Absolutely, yeah, Manuel Fraga. In the late 50s, I think a lot of people might have heard of the, the slogan that they used, which was, Spain is different. Yeah, I still use that quite a lot, actually. <laughs> They wanted to open up Spain to, to visitors. The theory that I've been reading about is that this kind of new Ministry of Tourism decided that the costory industry needed to be regulised a little bit. So they brought this tourist menu into law. It was really just to make sure that tourists were getting an authentic meal hmm. of a certain quality, to make sure that the kind of message that they were giving out to visitors was the same. Every establishment had to offer a tourist menu and it had to be comprised of certain things and all of these things were set out in this really detailed statute which also included a kind of a star rating so you could go for a five, five fork, I think, establishment. Yeah, they used forks as the rating, I think, yeah. So you had five forks, four forks, three forks, etc. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And, the, and the rating, you know, if, if you had an establishment that had sort of tablecloths and glasses and offered a certain quality of food which was very regulated then that would be a five fork place they wanted to make sure it was all regular so that people knew what they were getting the thing that's interesting about that theory for me is that there's a lot of talk nowadays about how kind of tourism is killing the many del Dia. 
and really it's just evolving so it's it's constantly evolving and it started out as something for tourists and the irony of like now tourism killing that is yeah interesting we're going to talk about that i think yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute, because we both saw an article, I think, last year, which was published in a British newspaper. I think it was either The Guardian or The Observer. But we, yeah, we talk about whether the Menu del Dia is dying out and disappearing, or whether the kinds of establishments which offer the Menu del Dia are, are disappearing. Um, some people seem to have quite strong views on this and think that gentrification is pushing out the everyday restaurants for you know your average Spanish person being taken over by more touristy places, more expensive places let's talk a bit about that in a bit more detail about that in a minute i just wanted to go back to talk a bit about the uh, about the history again because what you said Fiona, is absolutely right in the late 1950s spain saw an enormous increase in tourism and it boomed from 2.9 million visitors in 1959 to 11.1 million visitors in 1965 and i think at that stage in franco's regime he realized the value of tourism he realized how much money tourism could bring to spain and i think that kind of ties in with the, the boom years of tourism when we started seeing you know the the hotels and the resorts places like benidorm and the costa del sol starting to become really common uh, destinations for like the package holiday from you know tourists from northern europe franco was keen to showcase spain but i think the menu del dia was a way also of him showcasing spanish cuisine as well and like you said making it a recognizable format uh, making sure that there was a, a certain quality control depending on the different establishments as well. And yeah, like you said, it was introduced into law. It was a statute. Apparently on March the 17th, 1965, Franco's Minister of Information and Tourism, as you said, Manuel Fraga, who apparently was to become known as a hardline interior minister following Franco's death, he was the one who came up with the legislation and incorporated the menu turistico. And that is what became known as the menu del Lea, which actually made law to drive development of the tourism and hospitality sector. And it also says that the law was put in place to professionalise the hotel catering and ancillary trades and Fraga hoped to position the visitor destinations to take maximum advantage of tourist spending, legally enforceable quality control and thus deliver consistency of experience for visitors and tourists. Interesting. I never would have thought that the menu del Lea would have evolved from something uh, like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I always had thought it was for the worker. But if you think about it, back in those days people worked much closer to home they didn't travel far from home for work so the chances are really that most people would have gone home um, at lunchtime and obviously if unless you have a, quite a bit of extra money you're not going to be eating out every day and then if you do eat in a restaurant where do you take your siesta you know so in the days when the siesta culture especially in summer was really necessary because they'd get up early they'd work in the fields or factories or whatever during the day yeah until lunchtime, have a big lunch, have a sleep and then go and work again in the evenings. It does make sense that it was something that was brought in for, for, for other reasons. Yeah, like you said, I think that's right. Back then it was more common for everyone to go home at lunchtime and sit around the table as a family. Fraga also introduced a kind of a category system. Five, four, three, two and one fork restaurants. And the interesting thing about this, the extraordinary detail that this law went into, so you're depending on what uh, standard or what class your restaurant was, you by law had to provide certain things. But also enshrined into 
law was what food should be provided as well, depending on the class of restaurant. Yeah, it was an official bulletin of the Spanish state from March 29, 1965, Article 16, and this is for luxury restaurants. Luxury restaurants obliged to meet as a minimum the following conditions. A cloakroom, a public telephone booth, air conditioning. Now that kind of surprises me because I can't imagine air conditioning being very popular back in the 50s and 60s. And then it said, in all cases, the first head of the dining room must know English or and French. Then in this law, Article 26, it said luxury establishments, for example, had to offer a group of ten starters, including four soups or purees, a second group of six specialities based on vegetables, eggs or pasta, a third group of six specialities of fish, a fourth group of six specialities of meat, a fifth group of three types of sweet or ice cream, cheeses and a variety of fruits. And, and this goes on and on. There's Article 27.2, 29.1. The menu touristica will be made up by the client having looked at the menu of dishes which correspond to the category of the restaurant in the following way, blah, blah, blah. Quite incredible, really, that this was actually enshrined in law. And for each class of restaurant, you know, it was dictated you have to offer two meat courses, three fish courses, no, 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 etc. Six fish courses. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Six you know, fish courses, yeah. If, if you're relying on the kind of catch of the day, that, that is quite a lot. Yeah. I would love to see a menu from back then and see what kind of... I think it was probably the same kind of foods, but it would be really interesting to see, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it would be sort of basic, you know, it's not super, super elaborate, you know, with loads of complicated sauces and reductions, and this is basically a piece of fish which has been fried or, yeah. or grilled. The same with meat, you know. I mean, I, I think, you know, with Spanish food, it is very much like that. It's just... It's not about chucking as many flavours together as possible. It is just, you know, keeping it simple. If you use the menu that we had today as an example, Mm. and you just had basically a plate of peas with a fried egg on top and a few scraps of ham, (laughs) which probably tomorrow it will be green beans with a few scraps of ham and an egg on top. So it's whatever the vegetable that you happen to have. Whereas in, in the UK, traditionally, like peas would be an accompaniment to the right. main course yeah, yeah, yeah. and when our main course arrived it had a few kind of pale boiled potatoes on the side <laughs> but no other no other vegetables or colour so it's, yeah. it's really a different way so really they've just kind of taken one big meal and just separated it into components but but the size of it, I mean, that was a whole big bowl of peas you just ate. There was a lot of peas. I wouldn't normally choose to eat that many peas um, you know, at home. Just one more thing. Before we talk a bit about you know, what's happening with the menu del Dia and bars and restaurants today, during my research, an interesting thing that I, that I stumbled across about the Spanish paella. Now, paella is normally best eaten in Valencia, the region where it comes from. Although, you know, you will see it in any city and, and it's very common to see it in touristy restaurants, you know, because it's considered like the typical Spanish dish, but it's not really. Probably best avoided unless the place has really, really good reviews. On Thursdays, and I have noticed that some menu del Dias on a Thursday offer paella as one of the courses, as the main course. Do you know why? fascinating tell me i don't know (laughs) well i don't know how fascinating it is really apparently there are two schools of thought behind it if you walk around madrid you will see on some fair number of menu del dias that paella is an option on thursdays one school of thought that says that because between monday and wednesday they used to use the leftovers during during the the first three days of the week to make a paella with so i mean it wouldn't may not necessarily be a kind of traditional paella that you'd get in valencia but it was a rice dish 
with bits and pieces, leftovers, thrown in from the first half of the week, thrown into it and mixed up. The Valencianos are turning in their grave at the moment. <laughs> that, the idea of just kind of chucking in any old bit of um, leftovers. Valencianos will be spinning in their graves, uh, this idea, and also calling it a paella. Uh, it's a, a very, very particular about uh, what a paella should include. Um, was it Jamie Oliver, the British TV chef a few years ago, which on TV made uh, a paella which included chorizo and it went sort of viral on social media and all of the Spanish people were absolutely outraged going, you don't put you can't call it a paella what does this British guy know putting chorizo in a paella this is you know yeah I think I think it actually caused a diplomatic incident and um, <laughs> he was called a food terrorist which is you know it's pretty strong to kind of call a chef a terrorist but I mean there's one thing that Spaniards get really, really worked up about, and that is they don't like people messing with their cuisine. And it's it's interesting because if you think about some of the like top chefs in the world, they're experimental and they've been experimenting with traditional Spanish cuisine. You know, look at uh, Ferran Adria, and uh, there's so all of consistently there's five or six restaurants in the top ten yeah. in the world that are in Spain, and their chefs are really experimental. But they don't like those t- really traditional dishes being messed with. So, yeah, you cannot put chorizo in paella. Um, yeah, you can't mess around with like a tortilla. You can't kind of just throw something else in there just to see. No, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's either potato or occasionally there's another big debate among Spaniards of whether it should contain onion or not. No. Kind of 50-50 split in my experience of asking Spanish friends, should a Spanish tortilla de patata contain onions or not? But you can't, yeah, you can't go chucking in mushrooms and peppers and olives and anything else. No, I mean, but like I've sat down for a menu del día and had like a melon gazpacho and things. So I don't know, it's a dangerous game to play and I think you don't want to be messing about too much with being yeah. innovative. I agree. The other story behind the paella on Thursdays, I don't know if it's so common now, but I've definitely seen it, is that it was Franco's favourite dish. He was a big, big paella fan. And after his government meetings on a Thursday morning, he used to go out for lunch in whatever restaurant in Madrid with his ministers and his cronies and his sidekicks, and he would always demand a paella on a Thursday afternoon and of course whichever restaurant he turned up at may not necessarily have a paella prepared but they would prepare him one because obviously they weren't going to say no to you know the dictator Franco whichever restaurant he turned up on a Thursday afternoon they had to prepare him a paella and so I don't know whether because of that restaurants just in case he showed up started preparing a paella on a Thursday for a Thursday menu del día or a Thursday lunch just on the off chance that Franco might pitch up at the door demanding a paella I think that is a lovely story it it probably isn't true but I think it's a great story and I think it would be interesting (laughs) if like the Thursday paella thing is a kind of leftover of that because you could kind of tell the allegiance of the restaurant based on whether they are serving paella on Thursdays because I can imagine that if you weren't a Francoist you certainly wouldn't be making sure that nowadays anyway that you serve paella on Thursdays but it's the kind of story that if there is some shred of truth in it most people probably wouldn't know that now anyway yeah. it wouldn't be something that was talked about before we finish let's look at where the menu del día and these kind of you know everyday restaurants bars taskers as sometimes call them the idea of having a two-hour lunch break for people you know stopping and going actually out to a restaurant and having a sit-down lunch whether that's changing 
dying out, evolving, whether it's going to disappear or not. I've just found the article now. Um, it was from yeah the 11th of November last year, published in The Guardian by a journalist called Stephen Bergen. And the headline was, No more to our lunch breaks, the slow death of Spain's menu del dia. Restaurants offering fixed-price three-course menus have been a cornerstone of the country's urban life for decades, but tourism, shorter lunch rates and gentrification have put them back under threat. What will it take to fight back? That's kind of curious that tourism's now killing the Menu del Día, and that was the whole reason behind El Menu del Día. What do you think, Fiona? Do you think this is overstating it a bit? Well, I think the first thing to remember when you read that article is that Stephen is based in Barcelona, and Barcelona is... As you might have heard, not Spain. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking about That's that. That's another whole podcast, <laughs> yeah. or, or ten. I don't think you can judge what happens in Barcelona as symptomatic of what's happening everywhere. So Barcelona is absolutely rammed with tourists. And so it is a very special case. The article might be perfectly valid if you're talking about, about Barcelona. Um, I think in Madrid, certainly, it's not dying out. It's changing, it's evolving. But that is probably what's going to keep it alive. A lot of the older, traditional, family-run restaurants are closing down. And that's partly because of the way that the rents have changed, partly because of the cleaning up or gentrification of of neighbourhoods. But it's also because those families are dying out and their children are now training as engineers or pop stars or whatever, but they're not going into the family business to run to run the family business. So a lot of these things are happening just organically. In Madrid, you can get a menu del dia on every street in most restaurants, I would say. And those aren't just traditional ones. I mean, there's a place at the top of my road that's a vegan, everything served at avocado place, and they have a menu del dia. And it is not traditional Spanish food. You can get menu del dia in the in the Chinese restaurants, um, in the poke bowl places. It's so much a part of what is offered at lunchtime. I think probably the the bigger threat is the sort of work, the way that the working hours are changing, and the pressures that people, that companies now put on workers. So they don't get two hours at lunch and a lot of these companies are now based in kind of industrial estates outside of the centre there's not so many restaurant choices and they are probably you know they're opening more kind of fast food type places and it's not the same as London where on every corner there's a pret-a-manger and so many sandwich places. You don't see people eating sandwiches and fast food in Spain, really, I don't think. I totally agree with you, yeah, you don't. I think that's one thing that when I first moved to Spain I kind of had to adapt to because I was very used to, you know, in my old job back in the UK, lunchtime, zipping out, grabbing a sandwich to take away, a piece of fruit, a bowl of pasta, a salad, taking it back to the office, sitting down at my desk and eating it. Or maybe if it was the summer, I might go and sit out you know, on a bench in a park or somewhere like that and eat it. To go out and sit in a restaurant at lunchtime, never or very, very rarely. You probably sometimes walked along the street eating. Absolutely, on the hoof, which again is something you rarely see. Well, no, almost never see, never see it here in Spain. If you, if you do see it, then you can guarantee that it's a tourist or a foreigner. People, they might sit on a bench and you'll see people, more and more they take like their little, what they call Tupperwares, into work. But you don't see Spanish people eating, buying sandwiches and eating 
as they walk along the street or, no. or on the metro or on the bus. You just don't get it. Yeah, on a metro, on a you know, on a weekday morning, you know, in London, every other person has got like a, a, a Starbucks or a Pret a Manger or some kind of takeaway coffee in their hand. They might be eating uh, you know a little pot of yogurt and muesli or eating their breakfast on the metro. I just never see it here in Spain. It's kind of considered you know why would you want to do that? Why would you not want to at least stop, perch at a bar and sit down to eat? I kind of it's not very civilized walking and eating. I do agree with you seeing these traditional bars closing down. Some of it is because rents are going up unfortunately and these bars are forced to close down. But I also think yeah a large part of it is because they're family run businesses and the new generation of that family nowadays they don't want to run a bar or a restaurant as their job. You know, they want to, they they maybe had the opportunity that maybe their parents or grandparents didn't have to get more studies, go to university, and they 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 want to do something different. They don't want to just take over the family bar when their parents retire. And it's quite common actually. I've seen whenever these kinds of places do close down, it's quite common to see a little note on the door saying "cerrado por jubilación" or something like this, closed closed due to retirement. There's a lot of factors in, involved, I think. But like you said, the menu del día is still going strong. Yeah, and I think if we're going to go back to the, the headline on that article about how the two-hour lunch break is under threat, well, I mean, I would agree with that to a certain extent. But the more that you have tourism, they can step into that gap. So who has time in a city to have a two-hour lunch break? Well, tourists, really. So if you want to be responsible when you travel and you want to go and support local businesses then and you're a tourist then go and have a mini del dia it doesn't necessarily make sense to me to say there's more tourism and the two-hour lunch breaks threatened and therefore it's dying out because i would agree with you the only thing i would add to that though that maybe sometimes if someone's coming to spain for the first time maybe they don't speak spanish or they have very basic spanish maybe you know it's not it's not often you see many of their ideas written in english they were normally written in spanish and maybe kind of the experience could be a little bit intimidating if you're not quite sure, you know, how it works, you know, what a menu del día is. Hopefully this podcast will help. You know, you see the chalkboard outside in kind of scrawly handwriting. It's been quickly written down by the chef that morning because that's what they've got. And, you know, you don't you see some quite unusual, quite detailed vocabulary, specific types of fish, specific cuts of meat and all this kind of thing. You might not know what it is. I mean, I would say, you know, be daring if you're coming to Spain for the first time. Don't be scared to go and try a menu del día. We took um, a friend of mine, visited with her mother-in-law, and we went to a restaurant, and she was slightly appalled when the plate came, and it was um, cornejo, which is rabbit. But it was served kind of, um, you could tell it was a rabbit. You could see its teeth and its jaw. She was like, oh my goodness, what is that? We said it was chicken. <laughs> we sort of slightly removed the, <laughs> removed the head from her vision. Yeah, it, is, it can be a little bit intimidating, but that's kind of the fun of going to a different culture. If you go to a busy menu del dia place, just have a look around you and then point and say, that looks good, I want that. It's not too exotic. Some, some part some organ of an animal that you've never eaten before. I mean, I think the one to watch out for that you might not know what it is, is called chaos, which is tripe uh, sort of intestines. I mean, I don't mind it. It's not something that I would choose to eat regularly, but if occasionally I have it if I don't think in too much detail what it actually is, it's actually quite tasty normally in some kind of stew. But yeah, you're definitely going to come across more unusual cuts of meat. You're going to see a lot more tripe and uh, animal organs and things like that cut up and put into stews but then i mean that's spain isn't it like they're not squeamish like 
maybe we are as Brits or maybe as you know, Northern Europeans or Americans, like everything comes, you know, already cut up and wrapped in plastic. Here, you know, everything, ham still has its hoof on it and things still come with the eye in it and the head still intact and seafood, you have to, you know, break the heads off. And, you know, it's all part of the eating experience, I think. It's much more kind of real. Yeah, you're not... I mean, you, you can't be squeamish in, in a Spanish restaurant or even walking past them and you see a little piglet with its whole sort of face looking at you, apple in its mouth. It, all, it always tastes good, even Chaos. I mean, Chaos is fantastic when you've been for a cold hike and it's kind of snowy and cold outside and you come in and have a really rich sauce. and See what's on the board, see what's on the menu. Have a look in the window, maybe have a wander in and just see if what other people are eating, see if it looks appetising. Much easier to do in the summer months when people are eating their menu, they'll lay out on the terrazas outside and you can walk past and you can sort of have a good nose at what, at what they're eating. But yeah, I think, yeah, just go for it. It's, it's the real Spanish experience. Fiona, thanks so much for joining me on this week's When in Spain podcast. Thank you very much, it's fun. So there you have it. I hope that's piqued your appetite. Uh, all this talk of uh, food is uh, making me quite hungry, actually. Incidentally, if anyone's interested in checking out the news magazine website, all in English, all about Spain, uh, that Fiona edits, the website address is www.thelocal.es. Thelocal.es. Go and check it out. You do have to subscribe to get full access, but as a non-subscriber, you get a handful of free articles calls each month. So that will just about do it for this week's episode. Just to say, if you're new to this podcast, uh, When in Spain does have a presence on all the usual social media hangouts. There's a very active and friendly When in Spain Facebook group. So just search When in Spain on Facebook. You'll find the When in Spain page and just hit the button to join the group. A great place to ask questions of the other 2,700 and something other When in Spain Facebook group members. It's a place to share content, photographs, articles, anything Spain related. When in Spain is also on Instagram. If you like photography from Spain, I regularly post new photos on the When in Spain Instagram account. So just search for When in Spain on Instagram. We're also on Twitter if you'd like to tweet me. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly with any specific query or indeed feedback about this podcast, then email me at wheninspain1 at outlook.com. And just another quick reminder, if you do enjoy this podcast, please sign up and become a When in Spain patron. This podcast is an independent podcast. I don't have any sponsors or advertising behind it. I'm not part of any big media operation. It's just little old me with my microphone and my free time putting together this podcast, sharing my passion for Spain with other like-minded people as well. So if you would like to become a patron, it's patreon.com forward slash When in Spain. And once you hit that page, it's really really self-explanatory. There are four different tiers of patronage which you can sign up to to make a regular monthly donation to the podcast to help keep it going and growing this year. And for doing so, you'll also, as I said, get access to bonus content as well. And I would really appreciate it. However, if you're not in a position to sign up to become a patron, then please consider doing a couple of other things to help me keep this podcast going. You can leave a review on which 
whichever platform you listen to the podcast. A one-line review of this podcast would really help other people decide whether to listen to it or not. If you've already listened to the podcast a few times, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you listen to. It really helps push When in Spain up the rankings, gives it uh, more visibility. And also tell your friends and family about it. Maybe you know someone who is equally interested in Spain and Spanish life and culture. Go and tell them about it. Go and tell them that When in Spain podcast exists. If they don't use podcast platforms or they don't know what Apple iTunes is or Spotify or anything like that, that doesn't matter. You don't have to have a podcast app in order to listen to this podcast. Quite simply, you can listen to it via your usual computer or laptop, whatever you use. Just go to Google, Google When in Spain podcast, and at the top of the rankings should show up the latest episodes, which you can just stream directly from your desktop or laptop computer. It could not be easier. So go ahead, go and tell anyone else that you think would be interested in listening to this podcast. So I'll leave it there. I'm just about to head out into Madrid to go and record the next episode of the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for listening and I look forward to talking to you again next time. And until then, hasta luego. Hasta luego.